Hello, everybody, and welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast to go over high-yield orthopedic surgery topics, but you are now tuned into our OITE review featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine, and we are now on sports. Now, again, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, and please share this with one other person. Yes, literally just one other person. That's that's it. Just one. If you have a co-resident, look to your left. Look to your right, say, hey, just pick one of them, whichever one's your favorite, and say, hey, here's this cool podcast you can listen to on your way to work. <laughs> but no, seriously, y'all, thank you all for uh, listening, and uh, we'll just go ahead and hop into some sports. Our episode today is sponsored by Panacea Financial, a digital bank built for doctors by doctors. From medical student to attending, Panacea offers free checking and loan options just for physicians, including their PRN personal loan that gives you up to 75000 at an interest rate less than half of a credit card. Panacea Financial can also refinance your medical school debt with no maximums or help with commercial needs such as practice or surgery center buy-ins. Visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to learn how you can join the physicians nationwide who expect more from their bank. Panacea Financial is a division of the Primus member FDIC. And please, if you go, mention it, Nailed It Ortho in the How Did You Hear About Us section. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Uh, but now we have even more tests uh, that uh, are not necessarily muscular related, but uh, are instability related. Uh, most common of which is anterior instability. So how are we going to diagnose anterior instability? Yeah, so there are a couple different tests that diagnose anterior instability, but we'll take it one by one. So the apprehension test, so this is performed when the patient is supine. So you lay him back flat on the table and you put their arm into that position that we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is uncomfortable uh, uh, for patients with anterior instability. So you have their arm abducted, uh, to 90 degrees, you have their arm, they have their elbow flexed and externally rotated. So you have them lay back there. Again, their arm is abducted, their, their elbow is bent, and they're uh, abducted to 90 degrees and externally rotated. And so what you do is you apply an anterior force to the humerus. So again, if you think of it, if you have anterior shoulder instability, you're pushing the that that humeral head anteriorly. So a positive test is when you do that and then they have pain or they have feelings like, oh, doc, oh, don't do that. My, my soul is going to pop out or they're like, oh, you know, they jump off the bed. Like, oh, don't do that. You know, those are all positive apprehension tests. And then the, a positive relocation test is, is when you stabilize, when you put their arm on the anterior aspect of their shoulder and push back, that feeling of instability is relieved. So they put a posterior force on the, on the, on the shoulder. So you're kind of relocating that humeral head back in the glenoid. And that's positive when that uh, decreases their uh, in their feelings of instability. So they say, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, doc, that that feels better. Don't don't do that to my arm again, okay? That that felt really unstable, or that didn't feel good at all." So <laughs> that is apprehension, and that is the relocation test. I don't know why I was a mess with it. it. Took me so long to understand that, but <laughs> that's what those are. And then the next one is called the load and shift test, which can be used to um, diagnose both anterior and posterior shoulder instability. But let's kind of talk about how it how it works for anterior instability first. So load and shift, you stabilize the scapula. And um, and so for this, you know, you can have your shoulder almost in that in that same position. You can have your arm abducted and externally rotated. 
And so what you do is you you first load or you or you push uh, the 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 uh, humeral head into the center of the glenoid. So you're kind of getting that humerus, pushing it into the glenoid. Now what you're doing is you're kind of levering it or or pushing it up anteriorly. So you're giving it an anterior force applied uh, to the shoulder. Um, and so what this is, is is measured on a grade. But if the if you feel that it that the humeral head translates to the glenoid rim, that's that's gonna be a one plus. If it translates over the glenoid rim and it self-reduces, that's going to be a two plus. And if it translates over the rim but does not self-reduce, that's three plus. So, again, you have these these patients. The load and shift test is where you kind of load and you push that uh, humerus into the glenoid. Then you see, well, how far can I move it anteriorly? Can you? Does it just translate just a little bit over the rim? Does it translate over the rim and then it can self-reduce, or does it translate over the rim but it doesn't reduce? So that's an anterior load and shift. A posterior would be the opposite, right? So it'd be the same thing, but you, you're applying a posterior force to uh, to the to the humeral head on the glenoid. So you're seeing if if you can get it to sublux posteriorly. Uh, speaking of posterior, uh, what are some physical exam tests for posterior shoulder instability? We just went over anterior, but what about posterior? Uh, one is the jerk test. The other is the Kim, which are probably the the more common ones that you see, but a jerk test is a posterior subluxation or a clunk heard when a posterior force is applied to the humerus when the arm is adducted and forward flexed. So um, kind of patient's hand is up in front of their uh, face, like just underneath the level of their chin. And then you place a posterior directed force uh, a positive jerk test will be a subluxation or a clunk heard with that. And the Kim test, which is uh, posterior shoulder pain when the arm is being uh, elevated uh, diagonally at 45 degrees to above 90 with a downward and inferior pressure uh, on the uh, shoulder, which um, diagnoses a posterior inferior uh, labral tear or posterior inferior instability. And uh, it's uh, just like with all of these other tests, um, any confusion in the, the verbal description of these, uh, it can kind of be alleviated by a quick Google search. But again, jerk test is a straight posterior directed force. And the Kim test is a posterior inferior directed force when the patient is kind of performing uh, the YMCA, the Y of the YMCA, as long as their arm is in that position and you're pushing posterior inferior, you'll, you'll feel a, a subluxation or an instability like that. And then um, obviously, uh, or unfortunately, there are some patients that get uh, sent out from an ER because a posterior dislocation can look so much like a normal x-ray to uh, an, uh, an untrained eye that um, they are going to have persistent pain and they'll tell you, I have been unable to uh, externally rotate my arm. They can't, they can't move it past neutral uh, because there's a fixed posterior uh, dislocation, uh, unfortunately, and those, uh, depending on the chronicity of it, will require an open reduction um, at that point. But uh, again, posterior tests, the key ones to remember are posterior load and shift, 
Jerk, and Kim. Um, and then uh, another uh, portion of uh, instability is the inferior shoulder. What are some physical exam tests for inferior? Yeah, so for inferior shoulder, you know, laxity, one could just be the sulcus sign, right? So their arm is literally just at their side and you just pull down their arm and if you see like a huge sulcus underneath the uh, underneath the acromion or or i guess in in medical terms or doctor words as some of my attendings describe it you have an increased acromiohumeral interval with an inferior force when the arm is hanging at the side so that is going to be something for inferior shoulder laxity or, or instability and I remember uh, having to like look at like read the jerk and Kim's test like over and over because I thought they were the same thing for a very long time. It was very confusing. Yeah. But I remember for that jerk test, like, you know, I, I thought in my head, like, you know, when you go to sneeze, like and you try to like uh, cover your cover your mouth and your arm is just in that um, adducted, um, uh, adducted and internally rotated position. If you just push the arm back. Uh, if you like have your hand on the elbow and you try to push it back or you uh, push it back and 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 push the humor ahead against that posterior labrum, that's going to be that uh, that's going to be that jerk test. So if that if it's subluxes mm -hmm. there, and then that Kim, just like you were talking about, if the their arm is at is at uh, is at ninety degrees of abduction already, and in my head I just think like okay, if you're testing the posterior inferior labrum, what position would that be stressed, and how could I like push the uh, push the humerus like in that direction so if you're started at 90 degrees of abduction and you just move it diagonally like you're saying uh when you're going for that ymta you're, or you're reaching above your head and you push uh you push your humeral head back uh inferiorly down toward that posterior inferior labrum and that subluxes that's going to be a positive kim's test um and, and continuing forward we talked about anterior we talked about posterior shoulder instability and a little bit about inferior now what about uh test exams for the uh, superior labrum or the biceps are there any great or very good tests for this or you know can you kind of go through that there's a bunch of doctors who have tried to come up with uh the one single test that is diagnostic of a, a superior labrum or a slap lesion unfortunately there is no great test and uh, that's the one thing with the shoulder. More clinically, I guess in the OITE and ABOS, you you go with exactly what they describe because they're designed to kind of tell you what is going on with the patient. But what I found in real life is uh, even in patients that just have pain but not an outright supraspinatus tear, they may have actual pain with uh, some of those drop arm tests or Job's test. And when we're talking about the slap lesion, um, there's a few named tests uh, that are good to know. Uh, one is the O'Brien, which is um, essentially the arm is uh, brought into forward flexion, uh, pronated, so thumb facing down, and just... Uh, kind of adducted to midline and uh, you place a inferior directed force um, on that, you'll have pain and that's a positive O'Brien test. It's not very specific um, and it's kind of similar to some of the other rotator cuff tests. Uh, a speed test is pain with resisted forward flexion in the scapular plane. And this is with the 
uh, I believe this is uh, with the hand neutral. And what that is testing is the biceps. And um, if you're placing tension on the long head of the bicep, since it attaches on that superior labrum, you're then inadvertently testing the superior labral tear. And then the Jurgensen test is pain with resisted supination with the arm forward flexed, uh, either straight forward or in the scapular plane. And that's again, testing the uh, biceps uh, anchor point as well. So um, think of any test that tests the biceps, you're gonna be thinking more superior labrum rather than rotator cuff, even though they're all in a very similar location and some of these, these tests may overlap with each other uh, unfortunately. Um, and now kind of getting out of the shoulder joint and the AC joint, um, what is one physical exam test for, uh, AC joint pathology? Yeah. So this is just like simple cross arm, um, cross body, cross body, uh, a deduction. So you just literally just get their arm and, and, and put it all the way across their body. And what that does is kind of put some pressure on the AC joint and that can cause them some pain, uh, with that. So, Literally just cross body adduction. So you just get their arm and put it across their body. And uh, I think all these like physical exam things are definitely good to know. And, you know, if you're seeing somebody in clinic, you know, you're, you're just started your sports rotation and you have a, you know, a defensive lineman that came in at complaining of shoulder pain, you examine them and you got a positive Kim and jerks or you just got a negative jerk, but a positive Kim. And you can say, Hey, Hey, we had this, uh, you know, you go to your tenning. Hey, we had this 23 year old guy comes in he's a, lineman he's been playing for about five years complains of posterior um uh posterior uh, shoulder pain i got a positive kim and i think he has a posterior inferior uh, labral lesion i think we should probably get an mri or he's already tried non-operative treatment but oh okay so this this person knows a little bit about the shoulder they don't know a little about the shoulder exam so you know if you can you know learn these and try to figure out what's going on and and then you use an mri to confirm it i think a lot of I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I've, I've heard other people say that a lot of people just use MRIs and then, and then, uh, and then try to come up with a diagnosis from that instead of using an MRI to confirm their clinical diagnosis. So, um, that being said, you actually have one more thing here. Uh, it, it, one thing we forgot to not forgot to mention, but I want to talk about is um, systemic hyperlaxity or these patients that just have that are just uh, very that just have you know high laxity. What are some uh, tests for that? Yeah, this systemic hyperlaxity is going to be seen a lot in, um, you're going to have the tall, lanky kids that come in and uh, just kind of, uh, they've had several complaints at multiple joints of instability, or like you said, with that sulcus sign, you'll, they'll, they'll talk about their shoulder pain and the, they'll notice a sulcus. Um, but uh, the systemic hyperlaxity, which can lead to that kind of multi-directional instability of the shoulder or other ligamentous laxity is what the most important one is called the Byton score. And um, what it is, is it's it, out of nine. And the reason why it's out of nine is um, one of uh, the uh, tests is not, it, you can't do it um, on both sides, but you're testing uh, bilateral, uh, like little finger, um, uh, back to touching the uh, arm. So you're hyperextending the little finger and if it can uh, hyperextend uh, or bend greater than 90 
degrees, that's a point. Um, you bring the thumb, uh, you flex the wrist and bring the thumb to the anterior forearm. Uh, that's another point. Uh, elbow hyperextension is uh, tested on each side. And if it hyperextends to uh, past neutral, that's a point. If they can hyperextend their knees past neutral, that's a point on each side. And so that's what you're testing bilaterally. So little finger extension, thumb uh, into the forearm, uh, elbow hyperextension, knee hyperextension. And the last one is if with their knees straight, they can easily just place their palms straight to the floor. That's another point. Um, so it's out of nine. And, you know, I can't recall off the top of my head um, what score is kind of diagnostic of uh i think greater uh, than five yes. but i think it's is it five yeah i was gonna say it's either five so. or six is going to um but those are the patients where you're gonna like the ehlers danlos patients um and uh those like that that are gonna have this systemic laxity and uh yeah and then i'm just looking it up a score of five or more on the bite and defines joint hypermobility um, so uh, that's kind of it for the systemic uh, hypermobility, hyperlaxity. Um, now let's go into some imaging. Um, what is the x-ray view that you want to see uh, with a suspected shoulder dislocation that the ER will never give you? <laughs> And full disclaimer before we move on to this, I don't want anybody listening to this uh, dislocating their little finger trying to trying to do this exam on themselves and, and push their uh, pinkies to their uh, forearms. So uh, be be full disclaimer. Do not try that at home uh, if you <laughs> do not have this uh, problem. But I, I know for a fact that I was trying these all as you were just talking about it. Uh, I was at least able to get my thumb to my form i think i can touch the ground but that's i think i got a strong three but those other ones i uh, i'll have to leave those to uh some of those these hyperlax patients but uh anyways back to what you're asking the uh the view that the er never wants to get and they kind of give you some pushback when you ask them if they have this view and they say well you got two views already why do you need this one uh, you always want to get an axillary lateral view to evaluate for any type of shoulder dislocation. You should really have this anytime there's any shoulder pathology or any shoulder trauma, they should always get an axillary lateral view so you can assess that, uh, the glenohumeral articulation. And we, we covered this in our, in our trauma talk for shoulder dislocations, but just because it's so important, we're going to talk about it again. And if this is your first time listening to this OIT review series, uh, when we're talking about sports, uh, you can always go back and listen to our trauma, uh, our trauma talk on AC and SC joint pathology. Uh, but just go, moving forward, and we're, since we're on the topic of imaging and shoulders, uh, what, what can a CT scan be useful for in the setting of, you know, this shoulder pathology or instability or whatever it may be? The, so CT scan is, uh, I mean, more for just kind of a uh, general rule of thumb, especially for test taking. You're looking, you're ordering CT scans to look for bony pathology and you're ordering MRIs when you're looking at um, soft tissue pathology. So the CT scan will be very good at visualizing a bony uh, depression of the posterior 
humerus, which is also known as a hill sax lesion. Uh, you'll get it to look at the uh, any bony bankart lesions from uh, traumatic anterior instability. And then also looking at it to evaluate uh, glenoid morphology and sometimes a 3D uh, recon of the scapula is useful to look at uh, the version of the glenoid and any anterior inferior bone loss or the shape of the uh, glenoid, such as like a inverted pear shape or uh, uh, kind of osteolysis from a chronic uh, uh, bony bankard that was never repaired. Um, you'll, you'll see a lot of that on a CT scan. And then um, one more quick thing, I think, before we move on to arthroscopy portals, um, and we're talking about shoulder instability and dislocations, uh, there's a, do you recall off the top of your head, the x-ray view that's best for, uh, looking at a hill sax lesion? Um, for hill sax, oh, that is the, I think that's going to be an, uh, an AP with internal rotation, if I'm correct. Is that, is that right? Yeah, it's, it's not the Zanka view. The Zanka view is... Zanka's um, for, ACE, for the AC for AC joint. I'm trying to recall off the top of my head. Unfortunately, uh, I <laughs> I can't remember the exact name of it. But the arm is it's similar to an axillary lateral, and the the arm is uh, kind of abducted. Um, but oh man, I can't believe I I'm blanking on this. this <laughs> I, is, think it, this I, I, I think it is because if you. I think it is if you internally uh, if you internally rotate it that that would show you like a, a smooth hill sax lesion. I'm, ah, I'm striker notch. I found oh, it. Oh, boom! Striker notch. View. So, um, yep, the arm is uh, kind of so it's a it's an kind of an AP of the shoulder, but the arm is brought up in uh, flexion past ninety degrees and somewhat uh, abducted. And you'll see the the hill sax lesion. I just wanted to kind of bring that up as that is uh, it can be tested as part of the workup for uh, looking at a hill sax lesion is if they throw in striker notch X-ray is for the hill sax. Mm, um, but to get us good. back on uh, topic here, um, we went over CT scan. Um, Obviously, an MRI is going to, we'll cover that a bit more, I think, in the uh, kind of rotator cuff pathology portion of this. But um, let's say we've, we've already uh, diagnosed a patient and we want to bring them to the operating room for an arthroscopy. What are some of the standard portals for shoulder arthroscopy? Yeah, standard portals. And I'm, I'm learning more into this um, now that I've actually, so we don't do sports until we're fourth year here. We, you can, there, you know, sometimes where you can go and cover some sports here and there, but our actual rotation isn't until fourth year. And I just started okay. last week or this fourth, or this first of July. But anyways, long story short, uh, you have your posterior uh, portal, which is, I think, the main uh, viewing portal uh, that most people use. And this is a little like two centimeters distal and medial to the posterior lateral border of the acromion. You also have your anterior portal, which is made a little bit just lateral to the uh, coracoid process, uh, not medial, but lateral to the coracoid process. And then you also have your lateral portal, which is just one to two centimeters distal to the lateral acromial edge. And, you know, this this uh, 
that portal can be used, you know, for rotator cuffs or subacromial decompressions. Uh, that's where you'd be looking through that portal. You know, you look through uh, that lateral portal with your with your camera, and you know you can use your posterior portal to insert your shaver and do your um, subacromial decompression. But you know, standard portals, posterior, anterior, and lateral. Now, what are some additional portals used in shoulder arthroscopy? Uh, the kind of additional portals. So like you said, the posterior, anterior, and lateral portals are the ones that are pretty much used routinely um, just to gain access to all areas of the shoulder. And then you have the uh, Wilmington, which is uh, just anterior to the posterior lateral chromial corner of the acromion. And that's used for slap lesions primarily. Uh, you have the Navassier portal, which is superior and it's through the supraspinatus fossa, um, kind of where that, uh, the V shape, um, once you do your sports rotations for all of you out there and for you just started this, um, a lot of kind of the starting points are based on the palpable bony anatomy. So you'll see the attendings or the fellows or even the senior residents or yourself um, taking that surgical pen and marking out the clavicle, marking out the AC joint, the antero uh, lateral border of the acromion, the lateral acromial border, posterior lateral acromion, and then down the scapular spine, and also the V where the uh, posterior clavicle meets the acromion. Um, there's a, a soft spot in that area, and that's right where that Navassier uh, portal is. And um, you can or you can diagnose and treat slap uh, tears through that and also uh, rotator cuff. There's the anterior inferior, which is directed at kind of five o'clock uh, on the shoulder. And then posterior inferior, which is directed more at seven o'clock on the shoulder when you're looking at the uh, shoulder as a uh, clock face. Um, one thing, uh, not that this should be uh, kind of taken by any person to their own attendings, but one thing that <laughs> I learned from one of mine is uh, as long as you understand the anatomy of the shoulder itself, you can you can really put a portal just about anywhere in the in the shoulder. They're not necessarily directed at just these seven specific portals that we looked at. As long as I mean, if you have difficulty. Uh, reaching a certain area of the shoulder as long as you know you're safe from any major neurovascular structures you can typically make a portal in that region and uh again i don't want anybody to take this and just start putting portals <laughs> anywhere they want but it's yeah. definitely something that once you start to understand the the anatomy of the shoulder and the actual uh surgical repair or reconstruction you want you can make these accessory portals to help either pass suture, to help uh, gain visualization to a certain area, or to help uh, debride or kind of shave down any particular region. So uh, the, the most important ones to know, though, are the posterior, anterior, and lateral. Those are the ones that they're going to test on. They're going to say, this is an arthroscopic view from the posterior portal in a patient in the beach chair position. What is the arrow pointing to or or whatever they'll, they'll be more direct and they usually don't use any of the kind of obscure named portals or any accessory portals without telling you 
Um, and then uh, aside from that, uh, the reason why we don't go directly uh, inferior is due to fear of uh, what structure that is at the six o'clock position on the glenoid. Yeah, so you're worried about hitting the axillary nerves. If you, it's it's kind of just twelve millimeters distal to that six o'clock position on the uh, on the glenoid. So you don't want to hit the axillary nerve. And I've seen questions asked about this, and it's always axillary nerve. Sometimes they'll ask about uh, it being a branch of the posterior cord. Sometimes they'll ask about um, it being a supplier of the teres uh, teres minor as well as the deltoid muscles. So you know all those little tertiary or three part questions that can come from anything with the axillary nerve. Sometimes I've also seen them ask about uh, it being through the quadrangular, quadrangular space uh, and then asking what other, what else runs with the axillary nerve. So it's like a fourth, like a fourth tier question. Yeah. You got to worry about the, I think that'd be the posterior circumflex humeral artery. Yeah. So you got to know all of those things. And, and one thing with these portals is that we have like one attending who does exactly what you said, you know, we draws it all out, you know, the, uh, the chromium, the soft spot. And then we have another attending who's like, don't draw anything out, just feel it and then make your portals. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so, you know, it's a little bit, of, you'll, you'll figure these out with time. And, and just what you're just talking about, as far as, you know, they'll show you something from, um, from, uh, you know, they'll show you an arthroscopic picture. And I guess just some, I guess just overall tips or just general tips or things that I've started to notice that if you're in a beach chair position, they typically, you have your, um, you have your glenoid and your humeral and your humeral, your humeral head will be straight up and down. And when you're looking or because a lot of times they just show you an arthroscopic picture and they put an arrow somewhere and they say, uh, what is this? And so things that I've found that have been helpful for me, and you can mention anything that I found to be helpful for you is if you're looking for the beach chair um, portal, uh, the glenoid is kind of going to typically will be up straight up and down. So I'll look at the glenoid, which is kind of that flat surface. You know, if you see something around, that's typically the humeral head. Uh, you try to identify where the biceps is coming in and attaching at the superior labrum. And then that, that kind of that rim of um, uh, that rim of tissue around the glenoid is going to be the, uh, the labrum. And then uh, after that or going marching anteriorly, you'll have your middle glenohumeral ligament. So that's going to be before your scuff gap, right? Because your glenohumeral ligament is, I mean, it goes from the glenoid to the, uh, uh, to the humerus. So you have your MGHL and then your scuff gap will be in front of that. Um, sometimes they may put a little uh, arrow that arrow right about the area above the scuff gap. Uh, which they could be pointing at the rotator interval, which was what we spoke about earlier, which is that kind of that area between the subscap and the supraspinatus and the coracoid and the transverse humeral ligament. And then other things is that if it's in a lateral decubitus position, um, sometimes the orientation will be different and you'll have the glenoid, which will be parallel to the ground. So the glenoid may be on the bottom, humeral head may be on the top, and you just have to orient yourself in that way. Is there Anything else that you can think of as, as far as, you know, it's, it's a little harder to describe over a podcast, but if I think if you think of these just general tips and you try to identify the humeral head, um, identify where the glenoid is, the labrum, and the biceps, and from there you can kind of work, work, uh, work about what you got, you know, what you're looking at. Yeah, no, I think that's an a, a excellent overview because uh, just like you said, I go for the structures I definitely know first. And that is 100% like what you said, glenoid, humeral head, biceps. I will uh, kind of, I know that when I'm looking at those, I won't miss those three structures. Uh, for me, yeah, the, the middle glenohumeral ligament and the subscap can 
kind of um, run into each other or uh, be so in, in such close proximity that they look the same. The middle glenohumeral ligament I found is typically runs a little bit more oblique than the subscap. The subscap should just run straight transverse. Um, and then, yeah, the, the rotator uh, interval, um, most commonly they'll show you a picture of an anterior portal that's always, that's already been placed. You'll see one of the uh, kind of portal sites and that can clue you into where the rotator interval is too, because that's where that anterior portal comes through. They're not going to, you, you don't want to pierce the subscap or you don't want to pierce the anterior border of the supraspinatus with your anterior portal. You want to make it right through that rotator interval. So that can be one other clue to where the rotator interval is, is if there's uh, an anterior portal already placed. But outside from that, it's, it's going to kind of be on your own to either uh, really pay attention during these cases while either you're doing the work or you're watching the attending do the work and learning from them or uh, looking up questions on various question banks that are out there or just Googling pictures of what a joint looks like on arthroscopy. But again, I always stick with what I definitely know and I know that I'll never miss what the humeral head, glenoid and biceps tendon looks like. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. Again, please hit the subscribe button. Please can go and leave us a review in iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I know that was my butchering way of saying Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Nailed It Ortho. And um, you know, engage with us. Feel free to comment on a on a photo every now and then. And if you haven't, check out our YouTube channel at Nailed It Ortho.